Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. I'm going to read something to you guys for a moment. So listen up. Um, we're going to begin our series, our Vineyard Initiative teaching series. It's going to be the next two months of teaching. We're going to begin it with a question. How will your generation be remembered? 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, how will your generation be remembered? So listen to this. Coining a nickname for an entire generation has become somewhat of a pastime for academics, journalists, and marketers. This week, MTV joined the generational name game when it announced it had its own moniker for the millions of kids coming after millennials. That's you. There are many names in the running for the post-millennial generation, including Gen Z, iGen, Homelanders, Plurals, Posts, Regen, and now Founders. All of these names attempt to reflect the dominant aspect of what defines those roughly 16 years and younger today. I lost my place. Whether it's their diversity, their dependence on social media, or their desire to fix what they see as a society disrupted, this new generation is increasingly aware that they are living in a world that has been drastically disrupted. Facebook and Google have upended the news business. YouTube has disrupted television. Airbnb and Uber have completely unsettled, long-established industries like hotels and taxis. Poor politics have devastated the public's trust in the government, and the economy itself has been disrupted by the Great Recession, creating a world in which parents have lost jobs and family budgets are tight. For the first time in a long time, teenagers today are growing up with no safety net. And it's anyone's guess where they will choose to land. Should this generation, you guys, receive the call to fix their society, uniting to rebuild what has been broken and paving a new way forward to greatness, they will become known as the founders. By contrast, this generation will become known as Gen Z if they choose instead to fall by the wayside succumbing to the laziness, ambivalence, and selfishness of their predecessors, what's up? Deciding simply to go with the flow of where their nation is inevitably headed. You guys, you do not have to look far to to see, to understand that our society is broken. Um, And the world, like not just America, the entire world is waiting to see, like waiting to see, peering at you to see what will you choose? Who will you choose to be as individuals, but more importantly, as a generation? Um, your decision will define the future, not just of America, but of the world. You know, we might be second as far as the economy is concerned after China, but we are still the most influential country in the world, and what you choose will define not just America, but the world. And it's a big decision. And it's a decision that every single generation has had to make for themselves all throughout history. Who are we going to be? How will we be remembered? 
Um, we see this decision over and over in the Bible. The Bible, 66 books, all about individuals and places and times, but also generations. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 say this. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children that I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Now, even an ox knows its master, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel, my people, they do not recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. You guys, God just declared, just compared his kids to donkeys and cows, right? That's a big deal. I see that and I'm like, whoa, what did they do? How, how far had they gone off the rails? Um, the world in Isaiah chapter 1, the society of God's people was broken, just as our world, our society is broken, and God's kids were doing nothing to fix it, right? So, the first four chapters of Isaiah... Over and over and over, it's God describing to his kids how his kids had gone wrong. They were selfish and lazy. Anybody a little selfish and lazy in the room? I'm raising my hand high. I'm selfish. I can be lazy for sure. Um, Look around our country, our community. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of laziness. Um, They had elected as their officials liars and fools. Anybody think we're going to have a liar or a fool in the Oval Office in just a few months? I don't care who it's going to be. I'm a little concerned of the, like, is this really the best America has to offer? God help us. Like, help us, really. Um, And as a result of electing liars and fools, there was no justice in the courts. I read a story the other day, and I've read stories like it for months and if not years, of this young man who did this horrible thing. I, I won't even say it. It was so heartbreaking, so disturbing, such an obvious breach in the law, and they let him go. No punishment, no accountability. What's somebody going to do tomorrow when they're like, well, he didn't get punished, so I'm not going to get punished either. Um, no justice in the courts. Liars and fools in charge. Um, and they established laws that said evil is good and good is evil. Can you look out in our country and see some laws that are like, that's, that's not good, but the law says it is. Um, that is. That's totally good, but it's against the law. That's our society and culture that we're living in today increasingly, and that was the society and culture of Isaiah chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. Um, why was God listing these things? Right? I mean, this is God's book to his people. He's talking about his people, his kids. Why is he listing these, listing these things? I, what's he saying? What was he saying to them and what's he saying to us? Here's what he's saying. He's saying to us right now, look, you guys, look. You are my kids. You're my children. I made you. How'd the scripture start? Listen, oh heavens, pay attention, oh earth. Everybody, listen up and pay attention to this right here. The children I raised and cared for. That's me and you. We are his children. He has raised us. He has cared for us. He created us in the womb. 
He's with us right now, always. We are his kids. And he's saying by listing out these things, look, you're my kids. When people look at you, they're supposed to see me. But you are not acting like my kids. I have taught you how to live. I have told you what is right and good. And you're not doing it. Um, You're not doing what I said. And as a result, you're hurting yourselves. Has anybody blatantly disregarded God's word before and hurt themselves as a result? That's me. That's them. That's us. Happens all the time. Doesn't mean we're horrible, unforgivable people, but it's a trend. Um, And God is telling them their issues. He's warning them of their hurts and their sins because he's saying, I can help you fix this today. Does anybody have a problem in their life right now? Right now, any kind of problem. God is saying to them, he's saying to us right now, I can help you fix that problem today. Like before you leave this room, I can help you fix that problem if you let me. He's not just going to force his way into our life and fix our stuff. We got to ask him and then we got to receive what we ask for. So just a, a rhetorical question, but give me some feedback. I think I know the answer, but do you agree our country is a mess right now? Yes. Do you agree that there is at least one area, if not multiple, in your life that's a mess right now? Me too. All right. Now, do you know that God has given you help? Like, we can ask for help, but there's help already here. It's already available to us. Listen to Ezra chapter 10. This is my life verse for the year, and I have charged you and our small group leaders and our staff that this is their life verse too. So while Ezra the priest prayed, right, their pastor was praying, he confessed on behalf of his people, God, sorry they're lazy, sorry, they're, sorry we're sinners, sorry we don't make the best decisions all the time. And he was weeping and he was lying face down on the ground. And then all the people, all the students, they gathered and they wept bitterly with him. And then one of the people, it wasn't the pastor, it was one of the, one of the people, one of the students. They said to the pastor, we have been unfaithful to our God, for we have let the world influence us more than God. We've let culture influence us more than Jesus. Guilty. But in spite of this, there is still hope for us. Let us now make a covenant with God. Let us make a promise today to separate ourselves from our sinful behavior, from anything that tempts us to sin, and from the fruit of our sin. Now, we will follow the advice given by you, our pastor, and by the others who respect the commands of our God. So get up, pastor, for it is your duty to tell us how to proceed in setting things straight. We are behind you, so be strong and take action. My mission and my promise to you, students, the mission of our student staff, of our volunteers, of our small group leaders, the people set over you whose responsibility is to teach you, our mission and promise to you is that we will teach you to the best of our ability how to live right in the eyes of the Lord. What I love about Jesus is that salvation, grace, is a free gift, right? If you place your faith in Jesus by saying, I believe you're real, I believe you died on the cross and set me free from sin. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I want it. You're saved. You're done. You're good. You're going to heaven. But if you want to grow in faith, if you want to grow and know wise decisions and be strong in the face of adversity and temptation, you got to obey. You got to put in some work. You don't have to earn your salvation, but you got to earn your maturity. You got to grow in the Lord by making wise decisions, by obeying Him. 
So, question, are you willing to ask for help if you need it? If you recognize you need help this morning, are you, are you willing to ask for it? And then that's the easy part. You guys ask for help every Sunday when you have a response. But here's the big thing. Are you willing to receive, use the help that you request? Two weeks ago, my friends, almost two. How old is he? 22 months, almost two. Uh, my friend's two-year-old little boy got stuck in our elevator right before I came in and spoke to the senior high. It was not a fun moment for him or his mom or me. Um, and all we could do, because the elevator had just geeked out, it just malfunctioned, was we pried the doors open, but we could only pry them open a couple inches, and we stuffed a Bible in there so that they wouldn't be completely closed, and we just had to wait for the fire department to show up to open it. Like that's, We couldn't get him open anymore. Maybe if Tommy had been here because he's super muscly, could have done better, but that's all we could do. We got a Bible in there, which I think is kind of cool, and then that was it. So he'd been in there with the doors shut, wailing and screaming and free. I mean, he's under two. He's in a closed elevator. It's not going anywhere. The door won't open for a while before we could even get the doors open. And then we got a Bible in, but it's just like, couldn't even really get your arm in there completely. He couldn't definitely, he couldn't get out. Um, And I had to come up and preach while he's in there. And I, all I could think about was, oh, Jesus, please open the door. Please open the, like, but there was nothing we could do. So his mom, my friend Ashley, took pictures of the whole thing and talked him through it and was kind of trying to be engaging and uh, try and make it an experience, knowing that, like, this is horrible that my son is stuck in here. Um, but I went and I stole all of her pictures off of Facebook. And we're going to walk through the photos. I'm going to walk you through the experience because from start to finish, It's like the gospel is in that story. Um, Our story is in Keegan, is the little boy's name, his story. So here's photo number one. There's Keegan trapped in the elevator. I can't even look at it. It's tearing me up. Um, He'd been in there for like a while, just weeping and wailing. And he's like, Mom, where are you? And the doors were closed for a good long while, like 10 or 15 minutes. Give me a nod. Hey, thumbs up. Um, and like, it's just from like, I'm not here, honey, right? Can barely hear her, but he's just losing it. We get the doors open, but look at that face and that weird platypus thing. (laughs) But look at that. Oh, just heartbreaking. Um, how did, how did Keegan get trapped? Remember, I'm not just telling Keegan's story. I'm telling ours. I'm telling yours. How do we get trapped? Well, a friend talked him into a bad situation. There's another little boy in the student ministry. We'll call him Wyatt Ulmer. And he opened the elevator door, even though there's a sign right there that he can't read, that says, don't use the elevator. And he opened the door, and he's like, go in there, Keegan. I'm going to send you to the sky. And he pushed the door to be closed. And mom sees it. And I think she ran over and, like, stopped the door. But that made the elevator geek out. But my kids should never have sent Keegan in there because he knows they're not allowed upstairs. And neither are you, by the way. And so the doors just close and lock up, and he's stuck in there. A friend talked him into a bad situation. You ever been talked into a bad situation by a friend? Have you ever talked a friend into a bad situation? Right? I would expect to see more hands. Um, They did not obey the warning signs. There are two signs. Do not go in here. Now, granted, they can't read, so we can't hold them fully accountable. They're a little ignorant. They're just little, you know, squishies. 
But still, there's signs. Their parents had told them, don't go in the elevator. Um, they were doing something they shouldn't do. Anybody ever done anything they shouldn't do? And they suffered for it. Have you ever suffered for doing something you shouldn't do? I love the engagement this morning. You guys are awesome. Has that situation ever happened to you? All of us ignored the warning signs, suffered because of our mistake. Now, Keegan's trapped, but you like step back, right? Step up. He's not really in any danger. It's not like the elevator's going to fall through the floor a thousand feet, right? Um, there's not like a bad guy on the elevator. It's not going to shoot through the roof like Willy Wonka style and float off into the horizon. Um, he's not in any real danger, but it's scary. It's dark. It's unfamiliar. He's afraid. He's confused. He's angry. But mom was right there. She was right there the whole time, through the door, and then when we got the door wedged open. So show me the next picture, Grace. So there he is laying on the floor. Like at some point, I think he was just like, I'm just, I'm giving up on life. Oh my God. And mom's arm is just like, she's just like, it's okay. I'm right here. And I love this picture. I love this picture. But let's look at this picture for a second. What do you think mom is saying to Keegan right now, right? Do you think she's saying, I am so angry at you? This is not the engagement part of the sermon. I am so angry at you. No, of course not. But do you think? Have you ever done something wrong and felt like God was looking down at you saying, I'm so angry at you? I think that all the time. But do you think that's what Ashley's saying to Keegan? No. Do you think she's saying, you are in so much trouble. When the fire department gets here and opens the door, I'm going to whip you. No, of course not. Um... Or do you think she's saying, don't be afraid, Keegan. Help is here. I'm right here. You're my son, and I'm going to handle this for you. So don't worry. Take a nap if you need to. Um, I love that Ashley got her tattoo in the picture, which she's had for a while, but I've never read. Because it's a weird font, and you know it. Um, it's Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. I love Isaiah. It's like my favorite book in the Bible. It says this, But now, my child, listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. You couldn't have a more perfect mom arm going through the elevator to help trap boy with the more appropriate tattoo. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I'm calling you by name, you're mine. I don't care what stands between us. Nothing's going to stop you from being mine. I don't care how scary your situation is, or if you deserve it, or if you don't. You guys, every single one of us in this room are God's kids. And no matter our mess, no matter what you've done to get into a sticky situation, all day, every day, God is saying to you, don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I'm calling you by name all day, every day. You are mine hear that, students? Do you feel like you have messed up beyond what God can handle? Do you feel like you've gone too far away from him? He is saying, I don't care. You're mine. I made you. I'm never going to quit. I'm never taking my arm out of this elevator. I am with you. I asked Ashley the significance, why she got that tattoo. Um, and the key word here is redemption. I have redeemed you. Um, and it's a reminder to her that God has redeemed her life and her choices because she has not made the best decisions in life. 
and no one in here has. We all make mistakes. But that word, I have redeemed you. I don't care what bad decisions you've made. I don't care the mess you can make of your life sometimes. I've redeemed it. Let's look at the definition of redemption real fast. Has it been up there the whole time? You freak me out when you do that. All right. Redemption, deliverance, or rescue. How appropriate. Her son needed deliverance. Her son was in need of rescue. And there's the word literally sticking through the arm. I am here to rescue you. Redemption is the action of being saved from error, sin, or evil. God has redeemed you. He is a God of action to redeem you from any error you have made, any sin you have committed, any evil that you do or even think. Redemption is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. Keegan had no payment to offer in that situation. And we have no payment worthy of being saved from sin and death. That's our payment. Jesus Christ on the cross. And it was paid in full, one time, forever. And all we have to do is receive it. I asked her why she put it on her wrist and She's had the tattoo for a while, but it just occurred to her, I think she said last month, that she used to cut, as a lot of teenagers do. Um, I used to cut in my own fashion when I was a teenager. And it just occurred to her last month that that's exactly the area where she used to hurt herself. And isn't that what God is saying to all of us? Stop disobeying. You're hurting yourself. And I love that God said, I'm going to have you, without even knowing it, Inscribe forever the word redeemed on your flesh right where you used to commit this sin that maybe still bothers you to let you know that even that, even when you hurt yourself that way, hurt other people that way, I've redeemed it. I paid for it. I'm going to help you regain what you lost of your own self-value when you did that. He paid it in full. Um, why do we, why, why can't, I'm so old. You know, when we do bad things and we get stuck in sin, and who, who has done a bad thing? Who feels stuck in sin? God wants us to know all day, every day, all night, every night, you belong to me, I am calling you by name, I've already redeemed you. You just have to receive it. If you feel stuck right now, your answer, your redemption is already available. Just take it. Just receive it. Just own it. Next picture. All right. So, because he's stuck in there and there's not a lot we can do, I think they started kind of trying to make it a game, and they were passing him donuts through the hole, right? Did you pay for that donut? It's all right. That's all right. It's on me. But they're passing him donuts, and I love that. I love that because it's a great reminder that, okay, help is on the way, when we ask for God to help us. As soon as you ask for help, you can ask for help while you're listening to me right now with whatever your circumstances. Jesus, please help me. Help is on the way. The Bible is clear, story after story. As soon as you pray, help is on the way. But sometimes the help takes a minute to get there. What if he wants to help through the fire department? What if he wants to help through a doctor's visit? What if he wants to help by sending angels out to help you, but like they're on the other side of the world? They got to travel around to get to you. Help is on the way. And sometimes after we ask for help, we need to be patient and wait for the help to arrive. So many students come into this room and they're convicted by a sermon and they ask for help and they wait for it for about 
60 seconds. And then like, I'm just going to go find my own answer. And God's like, but I just sent you help. What are you doing? It's on the way. And you're going to run off and try and fix things yourself? You were trying to do something yourself when you got into this mess. Let me help you. Ask for his help and then wait for it. Sometimes help takes a while to arrive and we just have to sit in our tough circumstance for a little bit. We just got to hang out and chill out and trust God's taking care of me. He heard my prayer. Help is on the way. Next picture. Boom. Help. Right? There's Ashley praying or falling asleep. I'm not really sure. What? That's possible. That's possible. Good observation, Superman. So there's Ashley, and there's the fire department, right, with axes. Don't mess up my elevator door. But there they are. Help has arrived. It took a little while for them to get there because they got a little ways to drive, and we got to call them. We got to explain. We got a 22-month-old trapped in an elevator. But help was on the way the minute we made the call, the minute we pray. Help is on the way. And then, boom, they arrive. Help is here. God sends his heavy hitters to help you out when you need it, when you ask for it. Um, we just have to be patient. We just got to wait for them to arrive. Sometimes when we ask for help and then we run off to try and take care of things on our own, we can mess things up. We can miss the help when it arrives because we left and tried to do something. If you're in a tough spot, ask for God's help, but then wait for it. Trust him. Help is on the way. I hope some of you have, even now as I've been speaking, asked for help. And let me challenge you again. Be patient. Wait. It might take a day. It might take a month. He might want to teach you something as you sit and sweat. Just wait. Be patient. Look and have your eyes open for the miracle that's on its way. Next picture. Boom. Keegan's out of the elevator. And he's got himself some new clothes. I love this picture. I think it's awesome. He's got some PTSD going on. But we ask for help, we wait for the help, we receive the help after being patient, and then boom, we're free. But you notice God didn't just set him free. He didn't just set us free. He didn't just let him out of the elevator. He gives him some new clothes. I'm going to milk that for a minute. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I love this little story in the Old Testament. Then the angel showed me Jeshua... The servant of the Lord, this Old Testament priest, the angel showed me Jeshua, the servant of the Lord, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand. So you got the angel of the Lord, commonly known as Jesus. They're up in heaven. Here's God's servant, you, me. And then right next to the angel of the Lord is Satan. He's standing right there. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. Satan is right there next to Jesus because Jesus is the boss and Satan can't just do whatever he wants. And he's just making accusations and trying to make him, me, you feel guilty and ashamed and fearful and terrified like we're beyond salvation. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan, Yes, the Lord who has chosen his people. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man, this student, this Justin, is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. 
Now Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, See, I have taken away your sin, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. When we ask for help, God does so much more than help us. He does so much more. He rescues us. He just slaps the enemy in the mouth. Shut up, Satan. Leave him alone. Take off. And Satan's like, okay. Like he's got to do it. When we ask for help, God rescues us. He slaps our enemy in the mouth. He takes away our guilt and shame. He makes us brand new. Are you lacking that? Have you asked for help and not received that? I would say you probably didn't wait for his help well. That's okay. We're all works in progress. The last picture. There's Keegan with mom and some firefighters. And I see in that picture joy. And I see in that picture that Keegan is now part of something. Right? He's now interwoven in a larger story. Once we receive God's help, we become part of something bigger than ourselves. We become part of a team, a little honorary firefighter there. And it's no longer me, but it becomes about us. What was the help? We can leave that one up there for a minute, Grace. What was the help that Keegan needed that day? What's the help that we need, our country needs? It's this. We need to remember, not just in our head, but in our heart, we are God's children. And our Father is close by all the time. And we need to receive his help, and then we need to obey him. We need to obey him so we stop finding ourselves in sticky situations. Dwight and company, if you guys want, you can cruise up here as I wrap up. I'm going to take a drink of water. I did a good job. Thank you. All right. You remember what I challenged you with in the beginning? How will you be remembered? How will you be known, students? Know that you're in good company with this very significant, very large decision. Listen to this description. The greatest generation, it was a generation back in the 60s and 50s known as the greatest generation. It's where the whole naming of generations things kind of got started. The greatest generation is a term for those Americans who fought in World War II, as well as those who kept the home front intact during the war. And those who survived the war went on to rebuild their nation, ushering in an age of peace and prosperity, the likes of which no American had ever seen before. How did the greatest generation become known as the greatest generation. They were not born the greatest generation. They chose to be the greatest by doing something great. They saw a challenge as a people group and they accepted it. And then they banded together with a common goal. You guys, our lives are messed up and our country is messed up. And it's not about you coming here so you can get right. It's about us gathering together so we can get right and spread right everywhere. 
Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, right after God lists out the problem, he immediately tells them the solution. Come now, students, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. I'll provide for you. But if you turn away, if you refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword, by the slander of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. You guys, bow your heads with me for a minute. Be challenged in your spirit by these questions. Every single one of you in this room, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. We, together, are God's kids. He is not looking for one or two of us. He wants all of us to receive the call, to accept the challenge together. How will you be remembered? How will you be known? Will we be the generation who rejected God's best or received God's best? Will you be the generation who neglected God's blessings or who protected God's blessings? Will you be the generation that ignored the things that hurt you or who dealt with the things that hurt you? The generation who left God's word on the shelf or planted God's word deep in their hearts, who tore each other down or built each other up, who served only themselves or who used their considerable gifts to serve others. We've got a decision in front of us. We can be the generation who forgot God or we can be the generation who sought the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul, and all our strength. Keep your heads bowed. I saw an ad this weekend for a September 11th documentary that was recently aired. It said, 102 minutes that changed America. It's 102 minutes, and the planes railed into those spots, and they changed America in less than two hours. You guys, you can change America again today and you don't need 102 minutes. You need a split second. You need to simply and only say yes to God. Say yes to the two months coming up of teaching, of faith in action, of encouragement. I challenge you guys right now in your seats just between you and Lord, say yes to becoming the person and the people that God made you to be. You need it. I need it. Your school needs it. Your family needs it. Your country desperately needs it. With the idea of saying yes to whatever Jesus is stirring in you this morning, listen to Deuteronomy. This is specifically to you guys, us in this room right now. Today, students, I am giving you a choice between life and death, 
between prosperity and disaster. I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, his decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live, you will multiply, and the Lord will bless you. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you are drawn away to serve and worship your own selfish desires, then I warn you right now, you will be destroyed. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make in this room today. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice today by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. In fact, this is the key to your life. Jesus, I pray that every heart, every mind, every soul in this room would say yes to you. You have made your case to us this morning. We stumble around in the dark. We get trapped in places that we cannot get out of ourselves. And you are warning us every day. And you are calling our name every day. And you are saying redemption is available every day. We say yes to you. Students, in your own words, say yes to him today. If there's something special, something specific, something heavy in your heart, just do some business with the Lord right now. Give it to him. Ask for help. Ask for strength. Just pray for a moment to your father. He is close. His help is available. still praying, keep praying. But if you're not, look at me. So we have our student ministry stone of remembrance. And we used this a couple weeks back and we just declared as a student ministry, not as individuals, but a collective, a community. We said yes to all that God has for us today. And I want to use this stone again because I think it could use some more yeses. But nobody wrote on the bottom. And I think that's kind of poetic. Because we say yes to God in so many areas, but then we leave that, that underbelly of our sin and we don't address it. If you got something that you have yet to say yes to Jesus about today, I invite you to just come up here and write your yes to the Lord. I want you guys to look at this rock for the rest of this year. And remember, you said yes to the Lord. You get yes to receiving his help. Help is on the way. You keep saying yes to God this year and your life is going to look drastically different from now until the end of the semester, until the end of the year. You're going to experience the supernatural. You're going to experience supernatural grace, forgiveness, love, power. You're going to lead a friend to Jesus Christ. You're going to make a disciple. You're going to forgive yourself and the people around you. Say yes to whatever God is calling you to today. You can come and make your mark as a part of response. We've got our tithe and our communion. I would love it if we would worship 
this morning with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus, bless our response. Lead our response. Be glorified in our response today. It's in your name. It's for your will that we do this. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Student.